Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning again. Today our reading comes from the book of Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. And I'm reading from NIV version. For the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first ones. Verse 9, The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each, of, each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Verse 12, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the, bur- of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Verse 16, so the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Wow, it's great to be here this morning. Um... The thing is, the good thing about uh, preaching on a Sunday morning is the exercise that we have to do to carry this lectern here. It's pretty heavy. I don't know whether you've tried it. Um, before, before I go on to sharing God's Word with you, I've been asked to announce um, <clears throat> the fact that um, on Monday, uh, the leadership team um, sort of met and it was agreed to appoint um, someone to become the children's ministry pastor. So someone has been um, selected, um, but because that person hasn't announced it and we are not sure whether uh, the church will vote for the person, so we cannot provide you with a name yet. 
that that name will be provided to you uh, when it will be announced at the AGM and quarterly meeting, which is scheduled for the 18th of December. So the exciting thing is someone has gone through all the selection process, the interviews and everything, and has been um, selected for that position. So more will be said during the AGM. Okay. Um, the passage we are looking at this morning is quite controversial, if you want. I don't know whether it will go through uh, the Labor Act or all the rules and regulations that we have in terms of hiring people. But that's the sort of things that um, <clears throat> Jesus, while using parables, that's the sort of things that he likes us to look at. The challenge that we have in looking at what the kingdom of God is like, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And <clears throat> what, what I've contributed to the um, newsletter this morning, maybe I'm not sure whether you've read it, maybe I'll just go through it sort of briefly. Um, the dictionary has got a list of definitions for the word grace, because this parable is all about grace. And bear in mind, dictionary is not Christian in the sense that it will not give us a Christian definition as such. But one of the definitions that it has in there is unmerited divine assistance granted to humans for their regeneration and sanctification. So, even in the secular world, we do have some sort of a definition or some sort of understanding of what grace is about for people in general. But what's sort of challenging is quite a few years ago, um, I don't know whether you read the book by Philip Yancey, What's so amazing about grace? It's really a wonderful book. I've read it many times a few years ago. And it's a very challenging book because of all the things that he, as a person, he went through. And it's a whole sort of um, series of stories that he said about grace. And I would recommend that you Maybe if it's been sitting on your bookshelves for a while, just to dust it off and have a good read. It's, it's a really wonderful book. But this is something that he wrote. And from memory, he's been quoting someone else. He says, Two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are these. The failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. And the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace. But that's not the way we live. 
the good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our emotions. It still had knowledge. We know what grace is, right? Anyone? <laughs> exactly. We do not deserve it. We know that. But the challenge we have is that's not how we are living that. And I think in the gospel reading that we did this morning from Matthew 20, Christ is telling us a bit about how the kingdom of heaven is. And to summarize it very briefly, it's, he says that a landowner went out and hired workers because in those days uh, for the harvest they needed more workers to come in and harvest. Um, it's not like now where everything is mechanized. They needed people to do that. So, so he hired some early in the morning and then later on he went back because most probably he's realized the harvest will not be completed. He went and hired a few more. And each time he told them that he's going to tell them, he's going to pay them what is appropriate. And at the end of the day, it was time for him to pay the workers. So the one who worked only one hour got one denarius. And one denarius normally in those days would be one day's work. And the other thing is, the one who worked three hours got one denarius. The one who worked five hours got one denarius. The one who worked eight hours got one denarius. And it seems that this particular landowner, he was not a good business person, was he? Because, let, if you think about it, if word about that sort of generosity spread around, the next day, everyone would like to work one hour, isn't it? He wouldn't get anyone to start the, at the beginning of the day, but everyone would just clear up and be there just one hour before the end of the day and therefore get one denarius, one day's work. But what he has, what he knows about is grace. So even though those people got paid the same amount, he knows that those people, because they were looking for work, because they had needs, so he's been gracious and generous, and so he's passed on that generosity to those people by providing for their needs. Now we know that. We know that they do not, those who work one hour or three hours or five hours, they do not deserve that one day's work. But this is what he's decided to give them. And for us who are 
believers, we know that we do not deserve God's grace. Because we know that nothing that we can do will put us in a position to deserve God's grace. It's a gift, isn't it? It's a gift that's been given to us, and it's a gift that we can receive. But we have to receive that. And in that same book, this is what Philippians says. He says that part of our problem in understanding the nature of grace itself is that grace is scandalous. It's hard to accept. It's hard to believe. It's hard to receive. And grace shocks us when it's offered. It's truly not of this world. It frightens us with what it does for sinners. And he continues, however, all we have to do is read the scriptures to see that God starts with prostitutes and works downwards from there. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It is given to those who don't deserve it, barely recognize it, and hardly appreciate it. That's why God alone gets the glory in our salvation, because Christ did all the work when he died on the cross for each of us. That's not exactly what the world is about, is it? Not exactly the message that the world gives to us. It's completely the opposite. It's not how the world does things. It's, some, it's a message that brings the world not upside down, but downside up. I think the issue we have today is that we tend to accept maybe a toned-down version of what grace really is about. True, we emphasize God's love and forgiveness, but we ignore the fact that Jesus called his people to to walk in wholehearted obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. We emphasize on forgiveness, but not much on repentance. We emphasize receiving God's blessing without the call to obedience. We like to receive, but how do we respond to what we received? God has paid the price. Jesus paid the price for us, the ultimate price for us on the cross. How do we respond to that? We accept his gift, 
but we do little with it. We just keep it without using the gift that he's given to us. Now, the Bible itself distinguishes two types of grace. One is called common grace, and the other one is special grace. Uh, it's a bit theology, but I try to simplify the whole thing. Okay? It's not a theological class. I will simplify it just to give you an idea of what grace, how God really is gracious. Common grace, <clears throat> common grace is that goodness that God shows to everyone without exception. For example, the sun rises on everyone, the good or the evil. It then rains on the righteous and the unrighteous as well, and that's from an illustration that in Matthew. So we both, all of us, the whole world, we enjoy the blessing of God, the sunrise, the rain, and the trees, the, all the plants that grows up and all those. We enjoy that. Special grace <clears throat> is that expression of God when he provides forgiveness of sin and eternal life to those who trust in Christ as their Savior. <clears throat> so special grace is all about <clears throat> us accepting the gift that God has given to us through us trusting our Lord Jesus Christ, what he's done for us, what he's, he has accomplished for us on the cross. <clears throat> so as believers in Christ, we are justified by the gift of his grace through the redemption, the buying back which we have as a result of Christ's death on the cross. But there's one, one more instruction that we are given, and that's from Titus. <clears throat> Small book written by Paul to Titus. And this is what it says. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 13, it says... For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's the grace of God. That's a gift that God has given to us. And in verse 12 it says, It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-control, upright and godly lives in this present age. And that applies to us as well. While we wait for the blessed hope, <clears throat> the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the response that he's asking us. He's provided us with the gift, the grace of God. It's free, true. But how do we use that gift? For example, when you get a gift, Christmas is not far away. How many days did we say? 13 days or 14 days we have 
the All Things Christmas. There will be lots of things, lots of gifts that we can uh, get. So what, what if you get a gift from someone and you just leave, leave it to one side? It's a waste, isn't it? That's the sort of illustration. That's the sort of things that God is asking us to do with the gift, is to open that gift and make use of that grace. And one way we can respond to the grace, the gift that he's given to us, is to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. And also in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it's also an illustration on how we can respond to God's grace. It says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have re- received to serve others. To serve as others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. That's a challenge. When we speak, here it's saying we should speak as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. That's the challenge we have. The words that we say should reflect the very words of God. And when we serve, it's not about me, it's not about what I can achieve, it's not about how I can go forward in my life. He says here, in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift, but we are asked to respond to that gift and to extend that grace of God to others so that others will benefit from that and pass it on to others as well. And that includes believers, non-believers, all those around us. Now, I'm, while I was doing that research on God's grace, which is what I've been asked to um, share with you this morning, um, I, I still remember that um, Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, where he was telling a lot of stories. And those stories sort of help us to rethink and not only rethink, but remember what's, what God's grace is all about. And I'm going to use <clears throat> one illustration from his book, but also while researching that, while <clears throat> going into um, the passage. Unfortunately, today, um, I won't have that sort of amount of time to go through um, the passage itself. Um, I'm just trying to... Ex- to get us to think about what really, what grace is all about. 
So I'm going to use a couple of illustrations. The first one is from uh, the book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace, but it's, all, it's about a film that um, he recounts as the very first chapter of his book. And the second illustration is, is an illustration that I picked up from one of the um, commentaries I was consulting as part of the research for this uh, passage. Who knows about the film called Babette's Feast? <clears throat> yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad at least a couple of people have watched it. It's a magnificent film. Um, Bridget and I, we did watch it a few months ago, and it's really a marvelous film. This is one of the, one of the illustrations that Philip Yancey used. <clears throat> it's a film that sort of um, was set on a desolate coast of Denmark. So you have two sisters, Martina and Philippa. Um, they were the daughters of a clergyman who was sort of um, meeting, had a meeting in their house from a Lutheran sort of background. <clears throat> and so those daughters, they did sacrifice um, their, their whole lives to carry on the ministry of their father because their father um, <clears throat> was preaching a salvation through self-denial. And so they will not have uh, or they will not indulge on anything. For example, on a Sunday after the service, they will have just a soup and uh, fish, made of fish broth or something like that, and dip bread in it, and that's it. Because um, according to, to them, they have to live a simple life and care for the needy. And so that, that particular community was dwindling, and the remnants of that congregation was getting a bit old. And Philippa, she had um, <clears throat> a really marvelous voice. And one day there was a famous um, singer called Achille Papin from Paris was visiting that area and he heard uh, Philippa sort of singing and so he invited her to come and have some singing lessons. <clears throat> and after the training, um, he, he, he invited her to go to Paris with him so that he can help her to develop her career. Um, but as much as she wanted to, she resisted that temptation of living in Paris. So 15 years or so passed and that community was getting sort of uh, older and older. And so one, one night, it was a rainy night, there was a knock on the door, and 
Martina and Philippa, they sort of opened the door, and there was a lady there with a letter of introduction from the famous opera singer, uh, Achille Papin, and that woman was Babette, and she could cook. So the sister could not engage her because that church was not big enough for, for them to be able to, um, to pay her. Um, but in exchange for that, they, they, they agreed to uh, provide her with accommodation and food, and also to look after uh, the two sisters. And so they taught her how to cook that particular broth. Um, and Babette was sort of quite surprised that that's the only thing that they eat. The only thing that, because <clears throat> Babette was displaced uh, from, from Paris due to some upheaval that was, having, that was happening in Paris. And so the only thing, the only tie she had um, was that every year she would renew a lottery ticket. And about 12 years, right, 12 years later after she's, um, she went to, to Denmark, 12 years later, she got a letter informing her that she's won the lottery, 10,000 francs, in those days was a lot of money. And so the sisters were a bit concerned that Babette will soon leave them. And so they started talking about the celebration of the 100th anniversary um, since the birth of their, their father. And Babette sort of overheard the conversation and she, she told the sisters, well, in the past 12 years I've asked no favors of you. I ask one now, will you let me prepare a meal for the anniversary service of your father's birth? And after tossing around, um, the sisters thought that they could not refuse that. So they accepted with a bit of apprehension about what's going to happen. And so they have, <clears throat> after accepting that, Babette sort of ordered the food that was coming from France. And their apprehension became fear when they started seeing crates of quails and champagne and wine and vegetable and truffles and pheasants and ham and a live turtle. So they were a bit concerned about that because their father is warned them about the earthly pleasures. And so because they cannot refuse the meal, they resolve to eat, that is the whole congregation after talking about that, they resolve to eat without comment, without complaint, without compliment as well to Babette. So the feast came along and the 11 members arrived because they, they invited some people uh, to come in as well. And one of them um, <clears throat> was uh, a general, 
in the army, who used to be to know the family, who used to, at one stage, um, courted with Martina, one of the two sisters, but because of the worldly thing, he had to go away, and Martina didn't accept that. So on that day, after they've taken the seat, Babette transformed the dining room. So the guests, um, so they were sitting there, um, sort of remembering the pledge that they are not going to complain, they are not going to make any comment, they are not going to enjoy it, right? And when the meal started coming through, and they started testing the champagne, the whole atmosphere started changing. Right? They were sort of offered a sumptuous meal, something that they've never tasted before, and, and some of them, they started really enjoying it. So as the meal sort of carried on and they started sort of um, opening up to each other, then they realized that some of them, they really sort of had some issues among themselves. So they started confessing their sins to one another. They started confessing about things that they've done, about things that they've said to each other, and that they were really sorry for, for that. And, and, the, and the, um, the story of the film ends with two scenes. The first thing is that members go out after the meal into the snow and they gathered together, they were joining hands together and singing the old hymns of faith that they had and there was a sense of harmony amongst them and reconciliation happening amongst them. <clears throat> and the other final scene was the kitchen. All the things pile high, you know, the dirty plates and all the pots and pans that was used and Babette was sitting there in the middle, uh, exhausted, and the sisters sort of went in two and, and actually had a chat with, with, with Babette. And one of them said, well, it was quite, quite a nice dinner. In spite of the fact that they agreed that they, was, they were not going to enjoy the meal and then no compliment and anything, she said to Babette, it was quite a nice dinner. And Babette sort of looked at her and said, I once cooked at the Café Anglais. And she said that that's the meal that normally I will cook in that particular high-class, top-class sort of restaurant. And the cost of that meal was exactly 10,000 francs. This is what those people would be paying for a meal like that. And she spent all that she won in that lottery just for that particular feast. 
They didn't deserve it. But he paid whatever he had just for that feast. And when the sister asked them, well, we expect that you will be returning to Paris, isn't it? And she said, well, all my friends, relatives have been killed or imprisoned, and it will be expensive for me to return to Paris. And all that I've won, I've spent it on that meal. And that's how the film ends. That's grace. She spent everything. She's given everything that she's won to feed those people who's lost the whole idea about what faith is all about. And the second, the second uh, story is a shorter one. It's about a person named George. Not, not, not any George in this room, it's just a name that that author picked, um, and he said it's a, it's a true story. Um, and George was sharing that story to, to the author of the uh, commentary I was using, and this is what he says. He was, that is, George was sitting in a dingy church basement confessing a sordid tale of sexual sin. So after starting with pornography, he moved on to high-priced escort services, but then he hit bottom. His life unraveled, he lost his job, his family disowned him, his wife was leaving him. And now, like the prodigal son, George had finally come to his senses. So when he finished this tale of filth and mercy, George asked to share a poem he had just discovered. And with hands shaking, George unraveled a scrap of paper and told him, that is the author, I've been carrying this all week. And it's one of the most wonderful things I've ever read. You guys have probably never heard this, but it goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Do you recognize this song? How many times we've sang it, but did it sing in about that amazing grace? And this is what the author said. As tears of joy and relief streamed down his face, I realized that I did not understand God's grace. I have heard that all him a thousand times, and it usually bores me. Grace can leave us angry, stunned, bewildered, delighted, or grateful, but it will never make us bored. George, one of the last, a latecomer to the vineyard, 
a desperately lost and hungry sinner discovered God's grace and he wept for joy. On that day, George became my mentor in the ways of God's grace. That's what we become when songs like Amazing Grace becomes just words without really sinking in. But when someone hears that for the first time, it hits them about the grace of God. And so I would invite us this morning to finish off, to stop for a few moments, maybe a couple of minutes, to reflect on the grace of God to us. On the ultimate price his son paid for us, right there on the cross, when he was nailed to that cross, but just before that, when he was flogged, when they whipped him, when his flesh was open for us. He paid that price so that we can have our relationship with God restored. And when we were singing, I believe in him, I belong to him, did it sink in that we really belong to him, to God. So I'd invite us to maybe bow our heads and close our eyes if you want, just to reflect on this, just to allow it to sink in that God has paid the ultimate price of his son, the life of his son for us how Christ was humiliated for us, how he was rejected for us, how he suffered for us. It's not about us, it's about him, how we respond to the grace, to the gift of his grace to us. Just let us reflect on how we've taken all these for granted and kept it all for ourselves without passing it on to others. Let us confess to God And let us reflect on how to respond to this outpouring of his grace. Heavenly Father, we are really grateful to you that you've given us your grace. 
as undeserved as we are, but still you've given us this gift, this free gift. But Lord, we do think about the times when we've just put this gift to one side without any response, without opening up the gift and enjoying that gift and using that gift, passing it on to others so that they too will enjoy your grace. Lord, we do pray that through those stories, the Babette's Feast, how, Lord, you've given us the most sumptuous feast that we can ever have in our lives, that gift of grace that you've given to us, and realize how undeserved we are, how, Lord, we made our belief in you something which is rigid, something which is not gracious at all, and we confess to that. We pray that, Lord, as we remember the feast, as we remember uh, the way that George reacted to that song, Amazing Grace, that, Lord, it will revive in us what your grace is really about, though undeserved, that it costs you We do not deserve it, but you've given us that gift. May we open that gift and use it to pass on that grace to others as well. To show them the love that you have for them and how much you're willing to open up that grace to those who do not know you yet. So Lord, thank you once more that your word is available to us, for us to learn, for us to just allow to sink in in such a way that we allow you to guide us, to lead us into living a life that is worthy of your call to us. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us this morning. And may you continue to bless us, but also to challenge us. We thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.